If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock-Bromley. Really thrilled to have an Olympian with us today on our podcast, (laughs) Margaret Holzer. Wow. She is a two-time Olympian, a world champion, a world record holder, three-time medalist, just and an amazing person. I met Margaret last spring at an event in New York City, and I, I just felt very connected to her um, as I heard her share her story from stage, just simply because I know um, Margaret has been sharing her story publicly for about as long as I have. And um, back when I started speaking out, it was like no one was talking about this. The Me Too movement was far from anything anyone had ever thought of. And so people just didn't share their stories. But come to find out, Margaret was sharing her story at the same time that I was. And um, it just took us many years to connect. So, Margaret, really thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you for making time. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) It's really cool to just have been there when you shared your story, but then to develop a friendship with you in the past few months. And um, just really grateful for your voice out there and that you continue to speak and share. And you're very unashamed in that, very um, much an advocate. And and we're grateful for your voice. So I, I didn't know if you could just maybe begin by sharing a little bit of of your story. I'd love to talk a little bit about things like grooming and and people in our lives that responded well to our story and then eventually get into your swimming career and, you know, the role that sports athletics has played in your healing and maybe in your not healing. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So my story was I was sexually abused from the ages of five to seven by a good friend of mine's father. And, um, I mean, pretty typical upbringing, you know, um, middle class family. And, you know, um, obviously this was somebody that I trusted, you know, was going to their house on regular play dates. They were coming to mine, that kind of thing. And um, I didn't tell anybody until I was 11 years old. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was lucky my abuse stopped at seven. This family moved away. So, you know, not not because of anything I did, but I just, like I said, I was was very lucky that it it stopped um, for that reason. Didn't tell anybody until I was 11 years old. Um, I was very, again, I was, I was really lucky for a couple of reasons. Um, my, we had sexual abuse education in schools. This was in, I guess it was in 1993, 1994, which was exceedingly rare mm-hmm. at that time. Um, my hometown is Huntsville, Alabama, and... Alabama's never been the first thing, you know, known for anything, but uh, we actually have the uh, the first National Children's Advocacy Center in my hometown. And so having the first advocacy center in the country there, they were actually having sexual abuse education. I don't know if it was in 100% of the schools, but at least in the vast majority of them. Mm-hmm. And so we had watched a series of videos. And I remember getting like really, really uncomfortable, but I didn't at that point, quite connect the dots on my own. I I think I would have, and I think I would have eventually disclosed on my own. Um, But I think I just still was a little bit hesitant and not quite ready. 
So we watched these videos and, you know, a, a relatively short time after that, um, a friend of mine and I were going for a walk around the block near uh, at our house. You know, 11 years old, you're, you know, starting to talk about boys, that kind of thing. And for whatever reason, I decided to tell my 11-year-old friend. And, you know, she looked at me and said, you know, Margaret, you know, you were molested. Well, you know, obviously, you know, molested is not a word in your everyday 11-year-old's vocabulary. So, you know, um, she had learned that in that, that education, which just goes to show you how important it is because, even if it didn't immediately force a disclosure from me, the first person I told was, was a classmate, was a schoolmate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she knew what it meant. And, and not only that, but, you know, she did the next most important thing, which was say, you know, you need to, you know, tell your parents, which was, was basically you need to tell a trusted adult. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the beauty there was that I didn't have any fear and go, oh, I can't do that. You know, my reaction was, was totally the opposite. I was like, oh, well, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why didn't I think of that? You know, like, I, of mm-hmm. course I could tell my parents. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Because so, most survivors, um, I feel like that's a huge fear. But also, it is. most it is. of us didn't have a good friend telling us that at 11 either. So that was really bold and brave and, and, and honestly, really smart of your friend. It, it was. It was. And... And I, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of Aaron's Law and, and, and you know, getting education in schools. Uh, and I think that a lot of that is because I was one of the very few people, especially in the 90s, that, that had that education. So mm-hmm. I, I know just how important it is. Mm-hmm. And, and it wasn't even just because it forced my own disclosure. I mean, I, I actually do think that it did, you know, but yeah. it's, it's because I had that effect of another child knowing what it was and, mm-hmm. and telling me to, you know, believing me and telling me, hey, you know, you need to basically tell somebody else that hopefully will do the right thing. And in my case, they did. So yeah. I, I went home that afternoon and decided to tell my mom. And and my mom was so amazing. She listened to everything that I had to say. She heard the whole thing. She kept giving me like these little fear words, you know, like she mm-hmm. kept saying, um, you know, go on and, and, Mm. you know, what happened next? Because she, she was worried that I would clam up again and that Mm. I wouldn't, you know, tell the story. And so she, she was amazing in the fact that she got me to say really everything that happened all at once. And Mm. I, I got it all out in, in one take at that point. Again, there was, there was so little education out there for children, for adults. You know, my mom had no idea what she was supposed to do with this information, but, but Mm. she understood obviously the the value of it, the importance of it. Mm. She knew that, that she needed to do something. Wow. So she didn't Um, freak out. She didn't, Take it no. on herself like it was her fault. <laughs> I mean, these are the most common responses, and your mom didn't do that. She did what yeah, we it, teach parents to do: calm, to do. listen. I know. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. What's her background? I mean, you know, if, Is she like um, a social worker or what? No, she's her background is in elementary school education, okay. and and at that point in time, she was a stay-at-home mom, mm. and she, you know, substitute taught. You know, so she she did work with kids and she, you know, was around kids, but but but, you know, had no specific training in, in sexual abuse. Hmm. So she's just and, an angel, uh, just literally yeah. like an angel. OK, <laughs> got it. Continue. Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> um, no, I, I think the biggest thing is that she she understood that that 
no 11 year old child would have the kind of knowledge about some of the things that I had. Yeah. Um, that, that, that wasn't information that I would just know about or have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we had a relationship where I had always been told as a child, you know, that I could talk to my parents about anything or that I could ask them questions mm-hmm. and, and there were no dumb questions. Mm, you know, that really was something good. my parents used to tell me all the time. There's, mm-hmm. there's no dumb questions. Mm-hmm. You can always ask us if you don't know what a word means, you can always ask us yeah. if you don't know what something means. And, yeah. and I actually like attribute that as the number. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like I, my kids are like, so the F word is fart. <laughs> like, yep. That's <laughs> it. Exactly. Darn it, you figured it out. You know, no. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, and to your to your exact point, I, I came home in fourth grade one day and I asked my mom what a condom was. And we wow. had talked about it in, in my little like you know, four desk group at school. One of the boys had, had brought it up and of course like I didn't wanna pretend I didn't wanna act like I didn't know what it was. So of course I was like, Yeah, I totally know what it is. I come home from school, you know, my mom's like in the kitchen doing whatever she's doing. And I was like, Hey mom, like what's a condom? And wow. you know, she all, I, I had absolutely no idea. Right. So yeah. she could have either totally freaked out and gotten mad and mm-hmm. been like, why are you asking this? Right. And, and, and the beauty of it is I actually don't remember how she explained it. Like, I don't remember what she said, mm-hmm. but knowing myself and knowing how, inquisitive I was if it hadn't been a good explanation I would have just kept badgering her so she would have she she would have had to have given me an accurate explanation Mm -hmm. that was detailed enough but like I'm sure it was age appropriate for me to be satisfied Mm -hmm. to end the conversation yeah but that laid a foundation for you to continue to feel comfortable coming to her with exactly weird questions exactly yeah you know and and then I you know I went about my day it wasn't traumatizing I was satisfied with the answer like Mm -hmm. I said as an adult the fact that I don't remember the rest of the conversation is actually a good thing because it means that it was a normal conversation right Right. that's true and you know, my mom might have been traumatized afterwards, but I was fine. <laughs> right. You didn't see that. You didn't see the, the jug of bourbon she drank after that. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm like, you know, she's chugging a beer at, at 3.30 in the afternoon. Uh-huh. But, you know, I was fine. <laughs> but you're fine and you know what a condom is. So we're good. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. But so, so I think that that was sort of that establishment of trust and, and, and why I could talk to her. And, um, but yeah, so anyway, so she, she ended up, uh, calling 911, calling the police and kind of saying like, Hey, you know, this, this happened to to my child, mm-hmm. you know, what, what do I do? Yeah. What's, what are the next step? What's yeah. supposed to happen? And, um, and they you had a, didn't detective... see the abuser anymore. So that kind of probably helped too with your mom because it wasn't somebody like she's in regular relationship with, right? This is somebody that yes. you don't know yes. where they're at now or yeah. Okay. At, at that point, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No, at that point that had absolutely helped. And the fact that, uh, mm-hmm. they weren't around. Absolutely. Yeah. So did the police then try to contact and find him what happened from there yeah yeah so the the police came to the house and um you know my parents sat down with them I, I honestly don't know where I was I think my sister was on like you know keep Margaret occupied mode and mm-hmm. so we were off doing something else mm-hmm. um but my parents you know it, meanwhile my mom had, had told my dad what had happened you know they'd sat my sister down because my sister used to babysit for this family and so they you know sat her down made sure this you know hadn't happened with her as well luckily wow. it hadn't okay so she was and, older um She's a little bit older. Yeah. Okay. She's five years older than me. Okay. And, um, wow. 
so, you know, they tell the police and the police said, okay, you know, this is basically the process. This is going to be what's happened. And um, this is the advocacy center. You guys are going to go to the advocacy center and these guys are going to help you. Mm. And so, again, in 1994, there were so few advocacy centers in the U.S. at that point in time. And, and the very first one in the country, of course, was in my hometown. So I, that's, I, I was so lucky in so many different ways. And that, of course, being one of the major ways. And so we went there and I was able to go through that process. I was able to, to get help immediately. You know, so, I mean, the first two people I told, believe me, right, I got help oh, yeah. immediately. So, I mean, I, I had so many lucky things happen to mm-hmm. me that are obviously not normal. Um, unfortunately, I think they're becoming more normal, but you know, they, they certainly weren't normal for that time. Well, and I think it's amazing how then, you know, you didn't really talk about it, right. For quite a while, like you went through the proper, you know, means of, of getting justice or, or making sure no one else was hurt, um, to begin your own healing story. I always say the first step is telling your secret. You did that. You were believed. People responded the right way. You go on with life. Um, meanwhile, on the outside, everything looks like, oh, well, Margaret's good. I guess this stuff didn't really affect her. You know, she's a good athlete. Mm-hmm. She's driven, all of these things. But Mary and I both would say that was the same story for us. But on mm-hmm. the inside... You know, we both were college basketball players. We were straight-A students. Well, at least I was. I don't know about Mary. It's were not. You? I mean, for the most part. <laughs> I had my moments. Okay. <laughs> okay. But she was really pretty. <laughs> uh, we all had our things. We all had our things. <laughs> no, but really, on the outside, you know, for all three of us, I think people would look at us and say, wow, they went through that, but they really are good they're Mm -hmm. fine but i also think that probably not speaking for you margaret but on the inside all three of us would say really because there's a Mm -hmm. lot under here we're not talking about and it might not come out in the form of binge drinking or cutting or eating disorders but it's coming out in the ways that we are driving ourselves to be perfect yes yes could we talk about that Um, a little bit Yes. Oh my gosh. That is one of my biggest pet peeves, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've had a speaking engagement and I've had somebody come ask me and say, like, basically you seem fine mm-hmm. and it doesn't seem like it affected you. And, yeah. and it always surprises me because yeah. I'm like, kind of a, how dare you? Like not, Absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that, I know that people aren't trying to, to be offensive and they're not trying to say that they, they mean it as a compliment. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, so I'm a great actress. That's yeah. good. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, but it's like, it, it's just sort of, uh, I, I'm, I'm always surprised that, mm-hmm. I guess for lack of a better word, that, that it's, there's still this image that yeah. like, you're going to display it on the outside, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. do we really still believe that like, you're just going to see the results? Like, it's not that obvious. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the general public wants that. It makes them feel better when they can check all the boxes for us and say, okay, we don't have to worry about that one, you know, but we do. And for me, when I see that in a young one who maybe has recently shared about their own, you know, abuse or whatever, and everything looks good, I still am like, nope, we need to be asking questions, make sure, Mm -hmm. because for me, the drive to succeed 
was so much rooted in the fact that I did not feel good enough inside. So if I could paint a perfect picture on the outside of myself, I was hoping it would match up with the inside and make me feel, uh, what do you say, deserving to be in a room with other people. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I, I say the exact same thing. I mean, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it's easy to look at someone who is an alcoholic or, or has a drug problem or, or, or something like that. Like for, for lack of a better word, like that's easy to diagnose mm. and then to look at the root problem and go, Oh, okay. Like, like we, we can see the progression here. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but nobody, our society looks at success and says, well, that's a good thing. You want to be successful. You want to do all these fantastic things. And, and, you know, that, that is good, but, mm-hmm. but, but nobody sits there and pulls the curtain back and says, what is motivating somebody? Is it mm-hmm. coming from a healthy place? Is it not coming from a healthy place? Mm-hmm. And to your exact point, I think a lot of times it's coming from a very unhealthy place. Yeah. And especially with athletes. I mean, I, I think this is true of, of any, you know, field, regardless of, of what it is, but sure. especially with athletes, you know, at an Olympic level, I mean, you, you meet a lot of different people and there's, there's a lot of athletes that are, you know, kind of conceited and, uh, <laughs> they're, they, they, they like being better than people. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that there, I can, I can't say anything different about myself. Right. Like there's, we're all competitive Yeah, and you know, it's, I always think of like, like two bar graphs. Right. And, and if mm-hmm. everybody else is, is sort of it, it like this stationary point, the other bar graph is much higher than that. And that's where like the elite level athlete wants to be. And that's kind of where they view themselves. And and I always felt like I was in this bar graph. It was like so much lower mm. than kind of the starting like point zero, mm. which was normal mm-hmm. just for the normal person. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point, like, I just kept throwing accomplishments into like this pit of despair, right? Mm. Like, I mean, I had a 4.0 in high school. I think I graduated college with like a three, five, um, you know, obviously swimming accomplishments, you know, American record, world record, Olympic medals, you know, I mean, I, I just had accomplishment after accomplishment and I just kept throwing it into this, like mm. I said, like this, this pit, because I would, I would walk into a room and I, I didn't feel good about myself. Mm-hmm. I just didn't have this value. And mm. it took me such a long time to realize that I was doing that. Wow. Like I, I just, yeah. you know, I, I, I uh-huh. don't think that that's something that professionals are looking for. I don't think that that's something that, that is educated, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it's been interesting talking about that because I've, I've started talking about that in some of my speeches and I've had so many people come up to me afterwards and go, Oh my gosh, I was the first person in my family to get a college degree or to get a master's degree or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the thing is. Mm-hmm. And I've had so many people say you hit the nail on the head. Like mm-hmm. I, I was the one who was really motivated and, and was doing it because of X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I mean, yes, obviously the, the result ends up being positive. So that's a good thing, but Sometimes. it's still <laughs> coming from just as unhealthy of a place, right? right? Like, it's- See so many amazing athletes, you know, D1 athletes are like you Olympians, though it, it, it does end up in a good thing, a positive thing and all these accolades, but, but does it really? Because once that sport is over, once you have mm-hmm. a career ending injury, once you age out, now what? 
Right. You know, so now you've got yeah. to find that new shiny thing to try to make you feel successful and worthy again. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, I personally think that that is really rooted in the shame from the abuse that is still seeping into the adult life, into the professional life, you know, into the, oh, the, the need to succeed. And it's a way of covering up the shame to make you feel like the shame's not there, you know? Oh, it is. It mm-hmm. is. And it's, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I, you know, I, I know for myself, like that's still my default. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. I, I know that when something goes wrong in my life mm-hmm. or whatever it is, my automatic default is still like, again, I call it the pit of despair, but it's, it's that place of, of automatically going mm-hmm. where I, you know, any, any survivor listening would know exactly what I'm talking about, yeah. but it's, it's that automatic feeling of just, I have no worth. I have no value. Mm. I don't mean anything. And, and for lack of a better way to describe it, it's just like, it's, it's painful. Like mm-hmm. you feel physical pain, mm-hmm. you know? And, and it's interesting now because mm-hmm. I can, I can start feeling the physical effects of it. And because I, I am like mentally know what it is. I can start like talking myself out of it, but it's, it's interesting mm. because I, I almost have to feel the physical part of it before I, my brain can start going, okay, mm. like this is what's happening. And it, it, it's, 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 it's bizarre. It's, it's not like, you know, it's not like a switch I can turn on and turn off, but mm. it, 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 at least at this point in my life, like I understand what it is and yeah. I understand what's happening and wow. it, it doesn't change the emotion and it doesn't make it go away. Mm-hmm. But at least I can start having that thought process with myself and going, okay, Margaret, like, you know that this reaction is maybe a little more extreme than it needs to be. You know this isn't true. You know you have value. Like, I just start mm-hmm. having that conversation with myself. Mm-hmm. And so it, at least, but it, it, I mean, it, but, you know, I'm 36 years old, right? Like, it's, it's taken me a while <laughs> yeah. like yeah. To, to, to learn. And, and, and I don't even say I learned the triggers. It's taken me a, lear- a while to learn the reaction mm-hmm. and to learn what the feeling is and to, and to start getting those mental, you know, connections and going, okay, like you can not maybe talk yourself out of it, but at least start, you know, easing it. Talking you know, back it's gonna, to it. It's, gonna, it's like talking back talking to your back trauma. To it. Yeah. It's yeah. Like, exactly, no, no, no. Exactly. You're not in charge here. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, and, and another analogy, I'm, I'm always the analogy girl, but uh, <laughs> I think another analogy I have is, um, you know, to me, the, the process of healing, the end goal is not to get over it, right? right. Like, I, I think that's kind of a, a silly notion. Mm-hmm. To me, I look at it as, all right, you know, you're in your car, everybody at some point has been in some form of a relationship, and you hear a song on the radio, and you're like, okay, this song makes me think of somebody that I dated. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe the relationship was 10 or 15 years ago, right? Okay, mm-hmm. that song is going to make you feel something, whether mm-hmm. it's sadness, happiness, anger, frustration, you know, laughter. You're going to feel some form of emotion, you know, emotion mm-hmm. that relates to that relationship. Mm-hmm. And in the first two or three years, that might be a really intense emotion. And then 15, 20 years down the road, it might be a little bit less, but you're still going to feel the emotion. Mm-hmm. And for the three minutes you listen to that song, you let yourself experience that. And then the song changes and you move on with your life and you listen to the next song. And to me, that's what the goal is, is it's not to never experience triggers. It's not to never experience emotion. It's just that yeah, you do talk yourself there. through it. 
Mm. They'll always be there. Yeah. But you get to that point where mm-hmm. it's three minutes. It's not, you know, 30 minutes or three weeks or yeah. three years or three months, right? Like it's, it's you, you figure out the ways that you can kind of control it. And, and, yeah. and it's not always going to be the same length of time, right? But it's, it's, it's giving yourself that, that space and the grace to, to, to let yourself feel it. Because I, I know sometimes I get really hard on myself. Cause I'm like, gosh, why am I not over this? Right. Like, why Shake you, it. Why am I letting this? Yeah. Like, yeah. why, you know, cause I think as an athlete, I have this attitude that I should be able to control everything. You can conquer um, everything. Yeah. Yes. With just a little muscle. <laughs> well, and even working yes. with my exactly. counselor, it's the same exact thing because Nicole and I have talked about my main um, hurdle is the whole shame thing. Like that's how I view everything in my life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being an athlete and then I do a morning radio show here in our city and we got to number one, but mentally, physically, emotionally, I was feeling the worst that I'd ever felt. And I'm like, this is not what I felt like number one was going to be in our city, like mm-hmm. in a big market. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's where I started yeah. to dive into something deeper is going on. And then in talking with my counselor, like you said, it's not wishing away the triggers. It's me saying, I got my toolbox in my backseat and I'm about to grab whatever I need because I'm prepared Uh for whatever is coming my way. And also a recent thing we've been working on, just a mind shift, is that situations are not happening to me because that's a Mm. I'm out of control type thing. It's I am happening to to the situation to where Mm, that reminds us that we have our hands on the steering wheel and sure there's going to be things that come our way that's like whoa out of left field but we still get to have our hands on the steering wheel where we get to dictate what's going to happen Mm. um, on a certain level so that's to empower and kind of help us flex that that courage muscle a little bit Mm. Um, so that's helped me a lot just shifting that mindset and I think to get there we have got to surround ourselves with people who enforce that belief in us you know obviously you have a counselor that I think is key for so many of us especially when we feel like the trauma is telling us and dictating our life. Yeah. I think that is a, a surefire sign that you, you need somebody that's in the trenches with you, maybe weekly. Mm-hmm. And um, so for those listening, really encourage you to seek out somebody that can help you and walk with you, a counselor um, that can walk with you. But then also friends, of course, you know, I'm the same way and I have to lean on people around me just like the two of you do. And you can't do that alone. Sometimes to go get your toolbox takes a lot of courage yeah. and effort and time and and honestly energy yes. and sometimes we have to be reminded that remember your tools are in the back yeah really <laughs> you know? yes. are you gonna borrow someone else's yes. just for today exactly. <laughs> yes yes yeah and we have to lean on each other so i think community is key um and i know you've had that too margaret absolutely well and to touch on a couple things you guys said i mean <clears throat> you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go back and forth kind of here a little bit but but one of the good things I think back to being an athlete and, and, and calling on strength and controlling a situation and happening to the situation. I love that. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things that I think specifically athletes have, have learned to do, you know, whether or not they've realized it, but I think this is, this is something that anybody can do. Uh, And and I think other, other communities do actually a really phenomenal job of this. And this is something that I I want the the sexual abuse community to, to get better at and improve at because it is so powerful, but is it's embracing that, that attitude of being a survivor and being proud of that. Yes. You know, I, I, I use breast cancer a lot of times is, is my example, but mm. I mean, you look in the month of October and you see pink 
everywhere, mm-hmm. right? Like you see the ribbons, you see the t-shirts, you see the hashtag, like you see it on Delta Airlines, like you see it everywhere, you know? I mean, you, you see people are just so proud to say, I have a family member, this happened to me, you know, what, whatever the situation is, I just support it for mm-hmm. no apparent reason, right? Um, and, and, and people are just so supportive and so loving and so caring and, and it's, there's no shame, there's no stigma. And the fact of the matter is, is that is a change. My grandmother had breast cancer and she had it in 1958 and and she passed away several years ago at at 90 years old. Mm -hmm. But to her dying day, she would not have worn pink. (laughs) And and, and the the main reason there is in 1958, you did not talk about your breast, right? It was a private part and you didn't talk about it. Mm. And so for her, she, she never came out of the closet, right? Like she never had that, that moment of, of being a proud survivor. It was just something that she survived. She put it back. She moved on with her life, whatever. And, and that community has come such a long way. Yeah. And I think it's, it's such a great example of, of kind of where the sexual abuse community has been. Mm-hmm. You know, the Me Too movement, Time's Up, you know, things mm-hmm. like that have gotten the ball rolling. Mm-hmm. And so many survivors have come forward and started saying, this happened to me, yeah. you know, like, and, and, and the conversation's gotten started. And I think that we have the momentum and we're on our way there. Mm-hmm. But I think like, that's, that's the, where I want to get, right? That's the goal yeah. that I want to get to is where people are going, hey, you know, April's mm. our month. I'm going to wear teal or blue, yeah. you know, yeah. and I'm a survivor too. My sister's a survivor. My brother's a survivor, you know, whoever. Yeah. And this is something I'm ashamed of. Yeah, realizing it's, our proud of strength. This. Right. Yep. Realizing right. our strength and, as individuals, as survivors, but then collectively. I think that's the new thing now is collectively oh, we're not absolutely. alone. Absolutely. Abs- oh gosh, gosh, no, we're not alone. And 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 you know, as an athlete, I remember. And 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 again, it, it, I'm always a little slow to the draw. And it, it, it took me a while to figure this out. But girl, you I have mean, a even- world record. You are not slow. <laughs> I'm going to speak to that trauma. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, but 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 even even as as early as like my late teens, right? Like mm. I I did this sort of subconsciously. I would stand on the blocks. You know, in a Mm -hmm. swimming race, you've got eight people in the heat with you. Mm -hmm. And I would look around at the other women in my race. And I used to remember thinking, I am tougher than everybody in this race. Mm -hmm. I have lived through something. I have survived something. And and I was tapping into that, right? And Mm -hmm. and I didn't figure out that I was doing that until Mm -hmm. probably like more my Mm mid-20s. But when I looked back at that, I was, I was tapping into that fact that I knew that I was a survivor Mm -hmm. and I knew that I'd been through something very serious and I'd gotten through it. And, you know, and I mean, the reality is, is I I didn't know what those other seven girls had been through. I mean, honestly, hell, they could have been through the same thing I'd been through. Mm -hmm. But but those were those mental games that I was playing with myself. And those were the things I was telling myself. Mm. And and I was tapping into this strength that I, in some ways, didn't know that I had. And so on the one hand, you know, I was, you know, feeling the pit of despair. But, but on the other hand, I was, I was tapping into this strength. And I was going, you know what, like, this is just a swimming race. Like, you know, you can't break me. If I don't make an Olympic team, I don't make an Olympic team. Like, okay, that's the worst thing that's going to happen to me in my life. Like, whatever, you know, like, sure. like I was, I was playing this game of like, no, like I, I can do this because mm-hmm. I've already had to face, you know, the worst. I've already had to mm-hmm. do something. Yes. And, and once I realized and tapped into that, like for real, once I realized I was doing that, then it really became powerful. And that's kind of where I say, like, I, I think that's something anyone can do mm-hmm. because 
this is difficult. This is something hard. I mean, it's, I, you know, I don't take that word survivor lightly. I, I, you know, I think, I think there's a terrible stigma around the word victim. And it's interesting because I, I will use the word victim. And in one of my very first speeches, I actually, you know, had someone say, no, 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 you, you can't, you can't use that word. You know, it's a bad word. And I was like, and I, you know, and at the time I was new to the speaking world and I kind of was like, oh, you know, I don't want to offend anybody. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, no, like th- I have the right to, to say this. Yeah. I, I was yeah, a victim, right? Like yes. this is my word, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and the fact of the matter is, is I was victimized, mm-hmm. right? We were victimized yep. and, mm-hmm. and that was out of my control, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Like that's, that's what that word means. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think that people are automatically survivors. I think you have to earn no. that, right? Like you have to, you have to walk down that path and, and take that step, that first step and say, okay, like I, I want to heal and mm-hmm. I want to, to, you know, to, to figure this, this process out. And, yeah. and it's, it's an ongoing journey <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's yeah. never, <laughs> it's, it's not something overnight and it's not something that's, that's ever over. But I think it's it's that that mental kind of light switch flip of just going, I'm I'm going to do this and I'm going to take this process because because to me, I think that's where the strength in the word comes from mm-hmm. is is acknowledging that, you know, yes, something out of your control did happen, but you're not going to let it define you and mm-hmm. you are going to, you know, figure out that empowering whether or not you realize it's empowering, but you are taking your life back. You are taking control back. Yeah. Cause that, that is so strong, right? Like it I is. said, you may not feel it in the moment and you yeah. may not realize it, but I think everybody has the ability to, to get there and, and they are strong just by making that acknowledgement and, and starting that process. That is so true. So, so good, Margaret. I think everybody listening to our podcast, they're all survivors because they're all taking those steps to listen, mm-hmm. to hear other stories, to exactly. think about how does this relate to my story? How is it different? What can I learn? <clears throat> what can I do for the next survivor that's behind me on the journey? You know, but all exactly. of it is so much of what you're saying, Margaret, is understanding that this is our strength. We've gone through something horrific, the worst thing that could happen. We've gone through it and we've survived it. And here we are finding our voice, doing whatever we can every day to acknowledge it, to work through the shame, know that it wasn't our shame and to talk back to that trauma so that we can live successful lives. And in fact, using the strength to survive can be uh, adapted to regular life situations um, as our strength now, yeah. it's using that strength of survival to our advantage in our adult lives. And what does that look like? And rather than living out of the victim stance, it's living out of the survivor, the strength of a survivor stance. And, and again, speaking of knowledge, you know, I, I, I hope that the rest of my life is a smooth, easy sailing, right? But that's probably not <laughs> <Sure>. realistic. <Yeah. laughs> um, you know, and, you know, I, I will say, you know, confidence is a funny thing. You know, you can be the most confident person in the world. I mean, I, I can be an Olympian in one area, but I can tell you right now that dating is the most terrifying thing on the planet to me. Aww. And I have like, you know, like yeah. confidence, like I said, like confidence is not like a blanket thing that you mm. just have in like all areas mm-hmm. of your life. But it's, it's, it's interesting to me with this, 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 you know, this thing of survival is that I know that whatever life throws at me, I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I might, mm-hmm. I might cry, probably, probably going to cry a lot, <laughs> you know, and I might, I might fall apart, 
Mm. But I know I'll figure it out. I know I can survive anything. I know I can get through it. Mm. It might not be pretty, you know, but, but, but that's, that's the number one thing that this has taught me is that I'm really, really resilient and that I can, you know, survive the apocalypse, whatever. Um, I hope it'll have to. You're going all the way. (laughs) Go big or go home. Yes. It's one of those things you, you hope you don't have to, but, but I know that I can. And Mm -hmm. and I just, I, I think about that and I think about of that can carry you through the lowest moments of your life. Absolutely. And, and Mm. I, I am so grateful that I have that because that base level confidence to your point is I've got that for the rest of my life Mm. and whatever the situation is, I know that somehow or another it'll be okay. And, and, you know, and I'm saying that right now in a moment where, you know, my life is, is more or less, you know, fine, but, Mm. but it's, but still, I mean, I think that that, again, I think that that's, that's something that I'll always have. And I think that that's something that, that anyone who has survived, honestly, anything, it doesn't have to be sexual abuse. It can, it can be, you know, cancer or, or, or a horrible car wreck or, you know, whatever the thing is, I think that that's something that you can tap into, um, mm-hmm. surviving a lot of different things. <clears throat> and again, yeah. I think that's something other communities do really well. Uh, but it's, that can be so, so powerful. And that I think goes back to kind of controlling your narrative and, and mm-hmm. saying, I'm, I'm going to own the situation. And again, it, it doesn't have to be pretty, right. <laughs> you know, as, as an athlete, I always want to have this, this idea that I'm in control, you know, and yeah. it's, you know, you know I, I'm doing it like she, you know, she woman or, you know, mm-hmm. whoever, you know, and, and it might be like that, but it, you know, it also, you know, might be in, you know, hysterics with my hair flying every which direction and mascara down my face, but yeah. it'll get done. <laughs> well, your story is definitely one that I think inspires so many of us and to see you come from this one place and rise to the very top of your sport. Um, and then to say like, but that wasn't everything for me. What is everything is who has, developed inside of me through that whole process and that journey. And I think probably today you would say you're more proud of who you are now than even when you got that medal on your neck. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when I, when I look at the things I am proud of in my life, of course I am proud of my Olympic accomplishments and my swimming accomplishments, but, but I can hands down say the hardest thing I ever did was going public with my story. Mm. Absolutely. Wow. And you know, because that was the hardest thing that I ever did, that's probably, you know, the mo- the thing that I'm the most proud of. Yeah. And, you know, being a speaker on this topic is, is something I, I love doing. And, and it's interesting saying that because it's, it's not that I love doing it because it's a particularly fun thing to talk about. Um, but right. I love doing it because of the people that I, I get to meet people like both of you guys mm-hmm. and, and, and other survivors and, and people that work in this field. Mm-hmm. And, there's, there's just so many amazing people that I've gotten to meet sort of through this journey and, and through, you know, through my own healing through this, right? Like it's, it's been very, very healing getting to tell my own story and, and hear other people's stories and, and their, you know, relationship to this. And and that's just been something that I, I guess I didn't expect maybe naively um, or realize what happened, but that's been, been really, really cool is just kind of seeing how those relationships are developed and, mm-hmm. you know, how, how, seeing how many people care. I think that's the biggest thing. My yeah. biggest fear mm-hmm. when I told my story was 
I, I was afraid it was going to be in the local paper and then no one was going to read it and nobody was going to care. And, and I just was like, oh, my God, I'm going to tell this like massive thing yeah. and, and no one's going to care. And, and the reaction was 100 percent the opposite. I mean, a thousand times the opposite. Yeah, good. And in hindsight, I'm like, how did I think that? How did I how did I genuinely believe no one was going to care? But I did. And I was oh, so afraid yeah, of that. That's that's that underlying that lie that we believe that mm-hmm. once the secrets out that it won't even matter. No one will care. Yeah. No one will do anything. They'll think it was my fault. They'll think I asked for it. They'll think I made it up. Absolutely. You know, it's what keeps the secret in hiding. So it makes sense that you thought all that. But I am so grateful that you didn't have that response. You had the exact opposite <laughs> of, of that response. And that has carried you through and helped you to find a lot of great pride in yourself and, and belief in yourself. That's amazing. Well, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. So we're coming up on the holidays. Um, does that ever trigger anything for you? I'm wondering because um, I think holiday survival has been an important topic for me through the years as an advocate. We've done a couple podcasts on holiday survival for those listening. If you want to look back, um, I think it was yeah. called Holiday Survival 101. And yeah. it was two parts. We did it a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. So you just just have to search back for that on the One Voice podcast. But for you, Margaret, since we have you and we're, it's December, I'm just wondering, does it trigger anything for you? And if so, what has been some of your best survival techniques? And if it hasn't, we'll just edit this out. (laughs) Um, It it honestly hasn't, to be honest. Good. So, yeah. Yeah. Because you had a family that supported you. I think holiday survival for most of us means dealing with family members who were not supportive. So that makes sense. Probably. I, I would say the hardest thing that I've probably dealt with as an adult in the last few years has honestly been dating. Mm-hmm. And, and figuring out kind of the landmines of how does how just how does that work, especially as an athlete, because you can as an athlete, it was very, very easy to ignore. And everyone around me was like, oh, well, you're training all the time and you're busy oh, yeah. and you don't have time to date. And mm-hmm. so I was like, yep, that's it. Uh-huh, there's my answer. Yep. <laughs> you know, there's my answer. I don't have time. I'm busy. Everyone just, you know, gave me an answer. And so I just didn't address the issue. I and see. I, mm. you know, I kind of went this route of I'm just I'm I'm going to, you know, stay away from everyone and mm. and you know, just, just like dive into my, my swimming and just not deal with it. And then I became the friend, right? I became the friend because if I was the friend, I was desexualized and no one looked at me and Mm. I I was safe and I never had to worry about being uncomfortable. And, and I just, but yet you you still had that desire, right? It wasn't like the desire went away. You still had the desire. It was just too scary. Exactly. Exactly. And then, and that's, you know, the problem there is that then you, you do meet someone you like, and then all of a sudden you're like, Oh God, how do I, how do I unfriend zone myself? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's always been, I think where I've had my, my biggest struggles was, Mm. was figuring out the dating world, figuring out men, Mm -hmm. You know, you guys talk about counseling. I've, you know, I, I went to counseling as an 11 year old and um, my counselor actually told my mom at the time, she said, 
Margaret will probably need to go back to counseling, you know, when she becomes an adult and starts becoming sexually active. And she was 100% right. Mm -hmm. I went back to counseling when I was 23 and had been thinking about it for a couple of years before that, but just, Mm -hmm. I think just kind of had, didn't get around to it, didn't, didn't want to. And then I had one very specific moment where I was like, oh, I need to go something. This is not okay. This is not right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it kind of, it spoke to that like pit of despair moment where Mm -hmm. I had this reaction and it was, it was so intense and it was so like devaluing of myself. And, and I hit that rock bottom moment and, but the difference, and, and then I've had that moment so many times, but, but the difference this one time was that the logical part of my brain stepped in and for the first time ever was like, I think this reaction might be a bit extreme. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and that was the part that clicked and was like, you need to go to counseling. Oh. This isn't normal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I don't know what's not normal. I don't know why it's not normal. Yeah. But this but is this not a normal that. reaction. Yeah. Right. This is not a normal reaction mm-hmm. to the event that just occurred. Yeah. The reaction is like, a billion times more extreme than like what actually happened. Right? right. And up to that point, I'd had the same reaction a million times before, but I just thought it was normal. Mm-hmm. And so I went back to counseling and uh, that was my whole thing was, I just was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> let me break it on down. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like I know uh, what a condom I, is. <laughs> yeah. I learned that. Like, how, do <laughs> yeah. how do we do this? But how do we do this part? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And like I said, I'm 36 Aww. years old. I'm still not married. I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I, I think dating and, and having to deal with, you know, relationships is, is the absolute scariest, hardest thing because, yeah. you know, it's, it's not to me, it's, it's not even about the physical act of sex. It's, it's about the relationship. It's about the trust. It's about emotionally, being vulnerable with someone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, well, and, and that's you know, where your because, trauma occurred. That's where all of our abuse exactly, happened within exactly. trusted relationship. So exactly. when that's broken. It's not the physical. It's yeah. it's exactly it's the emotional. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's how do I vulnerability how do I, mm-hmm. am I gonna be taking advantage and, and, of again? Right. Yeah, exactly. Do I, you know, do I have value to this Mm. person that I'm entrusting, you know, I'm, I'm placing value on this person Mm -hmm. and I'm valuing them. Am I going to have value in return? And and that is, that is absolutely the part that I think is, is what is so difficult. Mm. And really that whole idea carries itself into even just friendship. You know, if you want to go really deep with somebody and be vulnerable with them, it's not always just a dating relationship. Absolutely. And, and I, I have, I've absolutely struggled with that with friends as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. My, I, I can honestly tell you that my, my absolute closest people in the world, mm-hmm. um, at some point in time, I have gotten in a really large argument with all of them. And, and these are people that I never fight with my, my two closest girlfriends in the world that I've been really good friends with since about seventh grade. We got in a, I can count on one hand, the number of arguments we've ever had. Mm-hmm. And we got in a huge fight in high school. And it, it came down to that very point was I just, 
I got to this point where I just kept thinking, you're going to leave me, you're going to leave me, you're going to leave me. And so I I was pushing them away. And Hmm. they finally just fought back and were like, dude, we're not going anywhere. (laughs) Like, stop fighting us. Stop pushing us away. (laughs) Like, we're not going anywhere. But it took them fighting back and for essentially fighting for me for me to be like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. And that's like the only big fight I've ever had with these two ladies. And and Mm. they are still like my two best friends to this day. But it, you know, there's a few people in my life that that have done that for me and have have, because I do. I get to this point where I I kind of fight people and I push them away. And Mm -hmm. I've had a a couple, you know, really stubborn, amazing people that are like. (laughs) Yeah. Nope. Well, but you were willing. Yeah. But you were willing to communicate why. And I think that's what's hard because for most people, they're like, okay, she's crazy. Bye. Yeah. But you were willing to take that hard, vulnerable step and be like, okay, I know, but like, this is why this is happening. And will you fight for me? And that's that's become easier as I've gotten older. I think as an eighth grader at that point, you know, I I didn't know how to do that for sure. So I give those ladies credit. But no, absolutely. As an adult, Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely become much easier to have that conversation and go, hey, you know, I mean, honestly, right now, like talking about giving ourselves the grace yeah. to to give ourselves time. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I I know for myself, every time I do a speech, like I love speaking, but like I I need some space mm-hmm. after I have a speech, right? For like sure. I. Yeah. I am, I'm naturally an introvert and, you know, people never get that about me because I'm, I'm very vocal and I'm very Mm -hmm. talkative, Mm -hmm. but you know, (laughs) when I, when I do a speech and I'm very public about something, I I, I actually used to be the same way when I would go to a swim meet and I would have a really big competition. I need a day afterwards to just kind of decompress. And I usually want to be alone with the exception of my cat. You know, and um, she's the one person that (laughs) Tango Tango. right next to me right now as we're talking. And um, yeah, I know she's a sweetie. But 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 yeah, I need that day. And and that was something early on that my mom always understood about me. And I think my mom helped educate the rest of my family. And she helped teach me how to educate, I think, myself and other people and, and, you know, Cause at first, you know, I was like, why am I being like a weirdo? Like, why don't I want to go out and go sightseeing like after these or something? Right. Mm. And, yeah. and that's something that I've learned about myself now because as an adult, sometimes it's hard, right? Sometimes you have to go to work the next day or you have to, you know, yeah. hang out with somebody or do whatever. You don't yeah. always have like a, a full day to say, Hey, I'm going to hang out. But now I know that I need that time so I can have that conversation with someone and go, hey, you know, I'm I'm feeling a little off today. Just so if, if something comes across weird or whatever, mm-hmm. like, you know, here's the why. And they're, you know, people are fine with that. They're like, oh, OK, like whatever, like, you know, everybody has a bad day or everybody has an off day or isn't mm-hmm. super chatty or, you know, whatever the thing is. Yeah, like, like, self-advocating, it, though, because so many times then exactly. as survivors before we find our strength and know it's our strength, we just do what everybody wants us to do. But mm-hmm. you are at a point in your healing where you're advocating for yourself. You found your voice, not only with your abuse and your story, but now with your healing to where you can say, no, this is actually what I need. And I'm sorry that you have right. these needs of me, but right now this is what I need and I'm going to vocalize it. And if you're worth the long haul of my journey, you'll still be there and you'll understand and you'll actually cheer for that for me. But if you're not, then you're going to be selfish and then bye. <laughs> 
exactly, exactly, right? And and there can be compromise within there. Like yes. you know, I can go to work, but I might just not be as chatty. <laughs> like yeah. I might sure you know, hold myself up in my office and not talk to you yeah. and work mm-hmm. on my computer, right? Like, but you're solid it's, enough it's, it's, in yourself to be like, I am gonna be a little bitch today, but tomorrow I'll be yes. back and we'll be. F- Fine. I'll be funny. Like, it's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But it it takes time to learn that about yourself. Mm. And it takes time That's so true. To, to, to gain the confidence to have those conversations. But, but, but like I said, even just to figure it out, like yeah. I, I didn't learn that about myself overnight. I, I literally actually learned that it, it swim meets is a, you know, a, a teenager in, in my early twenties because I would go to these five day swimming competitions, these eight day swimming competitions and the swim meet would end and all of my friends would, would literally go sightseeing or cause we'd be in these foreign countries and they would go do these amazing things. And I was always like, I'm in Australia and I just want to sit in the hotel room in the dark and sleep or read my book yeah. and like not do anything. Uh-huh. And yeah. it's, you know, and so literally like, cause a lot of times my family and I would, would travel for a little while after competitions. And so our compromise literally became, I would get a day after the meet to kind of just do my own thing. My family would leave me alone. They would go do something. And then after that, we would, we would hang out, but we, we literally learned to build in a day. But again, that goes back to my mom just being so insightful and just really like understanding her children and understanding, mm. cause it, it's not just me. I mean, she's the same way with my sister, right? Like she, wow. she knows my sister, and, and, and educate me on what my sister needs. And because mm. we're very different, right? Like we love each other, but we're very different. And Aww. and so it, it's, it's, it's finding those, those things and just having those conversations and ultimately, you know, learning them for yourself and as an adult. Well, my takeaway is your mom is an actual saint. <laughs> and I love what you're saying here um, because I asked about holiday survival and you're like, that's not holidays aren't really triggering. However, your regular life survival is, I think, applicable for those of us who are struggling with setting our own boundaries for the holidays mm-hmm. and just knowing how to speak up for ourselves and to know what we need because we've done our work to know ourselves well enough. You know, how am I going to be most present during this thing? Whether it be a swim meet, whether it be a speaking engagement, whether it be family Christmas dinner, you know, how am I right, going to be most right. present and my best self? And what do I need to put in place to be that? And I think you've really um, mapped that out really well for us through your own life story, just to how do I practically do that for myself, you know, this holiday season. So thank you for that. That was really yeah. helpful, really insightful. And thank you. your journey is, um, again, it's very inspiring, but it's also, I think it helps all of us to, there's so many pieces to what you're sharing, this journey that you're still on, you know, that we can relate yeah. to and, and pull, pull things from and. Um, Mary's a really good matchmaker, so oh my we'll God. be coming to Washington soon. I want to meet your mom, and she's going to find your husband. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I know. I know. Um, well, I actually just thought of, as you were saying that, I thought of, like, one last thing that I, if I could add it really quickly. Um, <clears throat> but for anybody, for anybody listening who is thinking about disclosing or telling or, or going public with their story or, and, and, and when I say public, I mean, there's, there's so many definitions to what oh, that means, yeah, right? Like for sure. telling one person, mm-hmm. telling a hundred people, telling two people, right? Like whatever that yes. means. Yeah. So one of the most 
helpful things, and again, this goes back to speaking to finding your boundaries, was when I did decide to go public with my story, I I actually sat down with my mom the night before my interview. And, and the reason I did this with my mom is because my mom is probably the only person that knows my story 100% mm. outside of, you know, the professionals that, that saw me as a child. And I was so worried that I was going to be asked something that was, you know, and I was going to say something that I was uncomfortable with or that I was going to say something and regret it later and, you know, whatever. Mm. And so my mom and I sat down and basically defined my boundaries and said, we made a list and wrote it down and said, this is what I'm comfortable talking about. And this yeah. is what I'm not okay, comfortable talking oh about. Gosh, I love right. That. Because I, I wanted to go into that interview with my, my boundaries defined, mm-hmm. clearly I wanted to know what they were mm-hmm. and I didn't want there to be any gray area. I didn't want to have yeah. that, that, like I said, that reporter asked me something and then I, I answer it and then go, Oh God, like after the fact. Right. Yeah. And, and I've been, I've been speaking now for 11 years and I can a hundred percent say that maybe one or two things have moved from the not okay list to the okay list. But for the most part, that list hasn't changed. Mm. Right. Like I, I made those boundaries and I define them and, and that those are my boundaries. Right. And, and I think that's so important because whatever you're doing, you know, whether you're, you're, you know, talking about, a, you know, talking to a friend or, or whatever, it's, it, it's, it's having your boundaries. And I think that's true of anything in life. That's not just disclosing, but it's it's finding what your boundaries are mm-hmm. and where you're comfortable. I, I think especially in this day of social media where, you yeah. know, everyone feels like they have to say everything yeah. and they have to put everything out there. Yeah. And, and and the reality is, is you don't, no. right? You can always keep things for yourself. Mm-hmm. You can put as much out there as you want to put out there. It's mm-hmm. always your decision. It's always your choice. Mm-hmm. It's your story, you know? And, and, I, and I think for me it was so important to have those boundaries in place. And, and I'm a very literal person. So that's, that's why I, I actually wrote them down. And I, I went over them with my mom because she was, like I said, the only other person that, that knew everything, but it was important to have that, those boundaries in place. And that mm. I think is what made it easier. Mm. And, and so I would, I would say if, if there's anybody out there who is, you know, thinking of disclosing, you know, whether it's, you know, to a, a, a friend, a relative, a, a you know, husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, you know, whatever, you know, even a therapist, like having whatever your personal boundaries are and those boundaries can change, right? Like they don't have to be set in stone and stay the same kind of like mine have, but it's, it's, it's knowing what they are up front. And then if you, if you make the decision to change them, that's amazing. That's, that's your, again, that's your decision. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's just, it's having, it's, it's, you're in control of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, again, that that brings you back some of your power of it's your narrative, it's your story, and that gives you control over it. Well, I think that's a really good point and one that um, survivors need to be reminded of as they're, there's so many, you know, of our listeners who have either recently shared or are, are beginning to have the desire to, even if it's just like you said, with one person. And what does that look like? That's a huge, huge step in the healing journey. Um but it, and it's one that shouldn't be taken lightly. And so you want to get it right. But it, no matter what, it's your story. It's your story to tell. And if you don't do it perfectly the first time, it's okay. It, it was your story to begin with. And um, right. 
no one else owns that, you know? And I think it's also, like you said, bring, taking your power back. Your abuser doesn't own that. Exactly. Well, Margaret, it's been such a joy to talk with you. Really, you're so down to earth and, and easy to talk oh. to and fun. And I hope our paths cross Thank again you. soon. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, though, um, how could our listeners find you, get in touch with you, follow you? Yeah, um, I am on all of the social medias. Um, and it's just my name, pretty okay. much. Um, so whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, whatever, it's it's usually my first name and my last name. So the, spe- the spelling is going to be the hard part. Yeah. Um, so as long as you, you know, mostly get the spelling correct. And okay. then same thing, um, it's on my website as well. So it's margaretholzer.com. And then mm-hmm. does Tango have any social media? <laughs> I know she doesn't. She's okay. but if you she go on really my social media, boundaries. she is she's all over my social media. Okay, so she she's, right. she doesn't have her own account, but I, I actually just posted a picture of her yesterday, and um, so yeah, yeah, she's she's on there quite a bit. Okay. <laughs> she prefers to have a private life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she yeah. Well, is well, who we aspire to be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I well, it's funny because I'm I'm like I am so not like a techie person, yeah. and I'm I'm like trying to get better at like doing social media oh. and learning how to do it. Don't. And so, like, my attempt at getting better at social media is is literally like I'm like the proud cat mom. I like post pictures <laughs> of my cat, but people that's love like, that. Like, so that's how like, you, yeah, I'm getting better. <laughs> right? People love that. They love a little insight peek into your life. Honestly, so I'm like hey. supposed to be posting like work stuff, and I'm posting pictures of like me hanging out with my cat. I love <laughs> it. Well, you think about Erin from Erin's Law. She does the same thing. Oh, oh I know. Bailey. I know. <laughs> Too soon, oh Nicole. God. I know. I'm sorry. Pour one out. I, Bailey, no ordinary I cat. Have, <laughs> Shoot. I have I, my, a cousin of mine gave me a dish towel that I was like, this is probably sad that my entire life is summed up on a dish towel. But it was literally like, I just want to drink wine and pet my cat. And I was like, oh my God, that's me. Yeah. Like, literally oh my, my whole life. Okay. Let's talk about like, that because this is what I love. Okay. This is what healing looks like. Yes. You, you become... An Olympian, right? <laughs> the best Olympian in your sport, okay? Now you're like, this is what I want my life to look like. This dish towel. Wine and my Wine and my cat. Because that's healing. That's saying, I don't need all that yeah. to be present, yes. to be alive. To be happy, content. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. No. Everybody just take a freaking nap. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, my God. Well, okay. So again, back to dating and why dating is hard. I'm like, okay, Margaret, what are the things you like doing? Sleeping, reading, hanging out with your cat. Like, (laughs) I'm like, these are all like, like individual activities that I do in my house like on my couch by myself right. here's the only difference <laughs> like, though i just have to point this out like... the rest of us don't get to lie on our couch petting our cat drinking wine while looking at a metal hanging on the wall exactly. so that's the difference where i still feel like a failure <laughs> all, right, all right fair enough fair enough okay i just gotta point that out but you know what honey you do you you do your best life i'm jealous i love it it's amazing <laughs> <sighs> I know, I know. I'm uh, like, you I are keep telling myself, goals. I'm like, I need to find, I need to find, like, you know, I need to find hobbies that involve other people in them. Right. <laughs> Besides my cat. Do you, though? <laughs> Actually, you don't. Uh, just, your cat's all you need. My cat, I just, she is. Pingo. She the really is. Pino Grigio. <laughs> uh, right? Seriously. You need another cat, Seriously. you need to name it 
like Zinfandel. Oh my god! <laughs> and it's like life is done. Everything's all yeah. together. Wow. Seriously, seriously. Right. We are on too many tangents. We're off the rails. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Bottom line, you're amazing. We love you, Margaret. Thank you for your time oh, today. You. This is so fun. Yes, thank you. This was so fun. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yes. Enjoy your day. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to subscribe, write a review if you heard something you liked. Even invite others to listen so we can be on this healing journey together. You can check us out on Facebook or go to IamOneVoice.org.